This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. Hey there, welcome into a brand new edition of the Winning Plays Podcast, and this is a big one, folks. The first one of the offseason. My name is Brian Robb, Ryan Bernardoni, guest hosting today in place of Rich. And Ryan, I believe I broke the news to you that Brad Stevens is a new uh, president of basketball operations. Is that correct this morning? I uh, I believe you broke the news to me that something had happened Got it. by texting me <laughs> something <laughs> along the lines of what the hell just happened. <laughs> uh, but you may have also told me actually what happened. I don't, I don't yeah. remember. No, I think I, I told you that Ainge was stepping down and uh, it became clear a short time later that Brad Stevens was, was taking the reins here of what will be a very challenging Celtics offseason, and we will um, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later in the show. But um, yeah, this uh, fresh off of uh, the Celtics season ending on Tuesday night in a in a predictable four one series loss against the Brooklyn Nets, where the the talent gap was as wide as ever um, between those two teams on the floor. Um, we find out Wednesday morning, Danny Ainge. Stepping down after, I think, 18 years as president of basketball operations. And apparently this was a move that was been in the works potentially since uh, March. And ownership deciding that uh, Brad Stevens is the man for the job, uh, moving up from the head coaching position into the, the top dog as Danny Ainge steps aside. He'll be around for the transition, it sounds like over the next couple of months, but then it will be Brad's show with the, uh, the remainder of the Celtics office front office looking like they're going to be remaining in place. Um, initial impressions, Ryan, of, uh, this, uh, this transition. Um, yeah, I mean, I think first it's maybe, uh, you know, worth talking about Ainge. Um, sure. and, I, and I've obviously been critical of, uh, the last couple of years of, of his decisions, um, but had a very successful tenure. Uh, as Celtics general manager um, started out in sort of a, a difficult to understand what he was doing back in, in some of the early days. And, and then the picture became sort of more clear as, as they moved um, into the, maybe the middle of, of his career as the, the Celtics general manager and obviously delivered a title, you know, with just some better luck would have likely delivered uh, at least one more and maybe two in, um, in the Pierce KG and, and Ray Allen era. Um, so that's, that's a, obviously a huge uh, deal to the franchise. Uh, and he's done a, a lot of other really great things in the time that he's been here and, and was one of the sort of most stable and reliable uh, sort of front office builders as well. There's a, a, his tree out into the rest of the league is, is quite substantial. Um, so I think that's the first thing is that the loss of Ainge, I don't know if, you know, like I've said, I've been critical of him for over where he's been for the last couple of years. And so I think that it's fine that it's time for him to move on, but like it is difficult to, to see that there will be a better general manager in place for the next little bit of time than there was for a very long period for the Celtics. Uh, Isn't it not, funny that we ranked all these moves too, that he had? During, yeah. I was actually thinking like about we, that earlier today. Right. The, the, yeah. And to your point of like, yeah, like we went through pretty much every single one of his trades and you, you can maybe like put what, like 15 to 20% that would be quote unquote, like, you know, bad or, or meaningless. So just that just kind of shows you the bad, the body of work of how, when they did make moves over the years, by and large, 
it worked out starkly in favor of the Celtics. And that again, is a tribute to what he was able to, to do despite hitting on some tougher times in the last couple of years here. Yeah. The way I've sort of looked at his, his tenure was that the beginning, like I said, was sort of difficult to comprehend um, in some ways. And I think part of that is that he was a, a bit of an innovator in terms of how to run a team in the early days, or at least uh, from the outside looking in, it, it may have seemed that way. And maybe this is just how every team, but like in that era, fans, people like myself, like didn't have nearly as much information about sort of how the league works, even things like salaries for, for players weren't readily available at that time. And so a lot of the trades that, that were made and reported, like you were left to the sort of analysis of just a couple of people who were sort of legacy media people at that time. Sure. Um, and you just had to sort of trust that they knew what they were talking about or, or whether or not they did. And so there were a lot of things that he did in the, in the early days that were really hard to, as a fan, sort of like get your mind around like what was going on. And then some of those pieces really fell together. And he had this very successful run um, of the sort of resetting of the team and, and then into the big three era. And then there is a period there where like, it wasn't great, right? Some of the draft picks and trades and decisions were made um, about how they could have potentially extended that window. And some of them are up for debate still. You and I did, you know, debated the Jeff Green for perk trade. Um, people will still talk about, you know, letting James Posey go, the draft picks of J.R. Bremer and some guys like that. And like, so there is this little period there where it's like, oh, it, you know, so close. And then he comes back out of that and, and goes on this just like run of just killer trades and killer decisions um, all the way up until the minute he decides to throw his lot in with Kyrie Irving. And then since then, it's sort of been like all kind of a mess. And you do wonder in the last couple of years, he talked, I think, about how uh, after the heart attack that he, uh, that he had in Milwaukee, his second uh, heart attack, I believe, right? Where in the last couple of years, he's sort of been in a different place maybe with his thinking about whether or not this was a job that he could continue long-term and things like that, and um, which is completely understandable. But the last couple of years, like I said, have been uh, less successful. Some people will say that the process was good in a lot of the decisions. They'll agree with those decisions. I didn't at the time in a lot of them. So it's hard for me to get off the fact that this, if, you know, if you're in a position where like you don't agree with the decision at the time, and then it also doesn't play out well, it's hard to get like convinced that it was actually a good move and that you were wrong all the time, even though it worked out, you know, so I get a little stuck on that. So I kind of break up his career into those, like, you know, there's ups and downs for anybody who has a career for that long, but um, in the aggregate, like it's a highly successful tenure with the team. Um, and so it's worth highlighting that and talking about that and thanking him. I know, I don't know if he's going to listen, but, you know, thanking him for the, for all that he did give to the team uh, over this period. And then, um, you know, sort of stepping down in this way, instead of trying to hold on and run a team that he doesn't really want to do or try to do it, you know, from, from home, putting in less hours or something like that. Like we have seen people do um, later in there uh, as they sort of age in, in those sorts of roles. So um, he didn't want to stick around as a figurehead, obviously things like that which again, I think is a credit to him. Um, but, you know, whether or not this was the time to move on or whether that would come a year or two from now, I think it's was sort of coming to the end of his, his time uh, with the team. Yeah. And I think just knowing his age and his situation, that's, I would agree with that. And that was the, you know, as recently as a couple months ago, talking to people around the league, they, that's what they expected that this was, you know, you know, he was going to be around in, at least in a full-time capacity that much longer. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's cause I imagine though, that again, if like you mentioned the Kyrie ring deal, if, if, if that deal, like there's pretty much since then, nothing really has gone. They were in such a power position at that point, And that was the start of dominoes. So which was their fault. Some of which was just stuff that was bad luck or beyond the team's control with, 
how other teams fared. Um, but that's when things start to go wired, like haywired there. And so you wonder again, if, you know, different paths, you know, not, not to say that it was the cause of him stepping away or this, the stress of it was became too much, but he was left in a spot now where I think um, as we'll get to the, the options are, are kind of bleak for what this group can do now going forward. So it is, um, you know, it's, it's tough to say that it's going to be any better, but maybe it's given how things have gone the last couple of years, you know, not the worst time to step away and, you know, see if, other guys in this front office and Brad Stevens can help this team get back on track in terms of back towards uh, the look of a contender. Yeah. I mean, I think the next sort of phase for the team is really a, a three or four year job uh, as you try to maneuver the team towards the Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum next contracts. And so if Ainge thought that he only had one year left, I think it's far better that he steps aside now and gives as much time as possible to his successor, which I guess is now Brad Stevens, um, which, I don't know. I mean, what are your opinions on, on that? I mean, I, I kind of, it's not, I look at it from this situation of where I wonder if Brad looked at it or that the, the ownership looked at it being like, Hey, if we bring someone else in here over Brad, there's, you know, maybe we lose Brad. So if we really like Brad and we think he can give us a better read on everything going on here, than someone from the outside that makes the most sense to, to move him up. I, I also would have to guess too, that just based on how things have gone the last few years and moves not panning out as well, uh, maybe he was an advocate for some things for some alternatives that probably would have been the better path for this team. So that was, might've been something in ownership size that's saying, okay, this is, you know, Brad had the right instincts here. So let's, let's kind of roll with that. If he, you know, we think he's ready for this spot, but sure. I'm, I'm somewhat surprised that they didn't, you know, there's plenty of other people they could have gone after here. And um, this is going to be a huge challenge of a, a huge learning curve um, for him, but he will have a, a strong, you know, support system in place, assuming that, you know, the rest of the Southern front office is going to, you know, remain in place for, for now, at least it seems like. Yeah, I think there's a couple, there's certainly a couple things to sort of unpack in, in there. Um, the first one is like, I can't see the future, right? Um, I can, you and I, we can try to analyze moves when they happen. We can talk about the sort of historical arc of the team and things like that. But like, I have no idea if Brad Stevens will be good in this job in the future. I don't think, I don't know what exactly his qualifications are to take over this job. Um, but it's not like, there's a lot of people who are particularly qualified for taking over a, you know, president of basketball operations job. Like there's only so many people out in the world who have ever done that job or close to that job before. And so there is a history of people jumping from coaching into that, uh, into that position with a lot of success. Uh, Danny Ainge is, is one of them. Um, you've got Lawrence Frank, who is maybe the sort of closest analog to this uh, out in, in LA where he was not a, you know, he was not a, big time player before he was a coach. He was not a, he didn't win a title as a coach, anything like that. And, and now he's running um, a team that you can quibble with some of the decisions they've made, but that's a, you know, a high profile team. Uh, Greg Popovich is, was front office, then coach, then the president of basketball operations. Mm -hmm. And so he sort of is the president of basketball operations and the coach with a GM in the middle. Um, I'm happy that that's not what's happened here. I don't yes. think that that ever works. It, nobody should be in that position. Uh, and yeah, so I'm a little Pat Riley. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so those are some big, obviously like huge names that have shaped the league for, for a long time. So it's not to say that like he will not succeed in this role. He may be great at this role. Um, and I just don't know, like, cause I don't know how you evaluate somebody for this position. Like what are, what are we supposed to be looking at to say if he would be good or bad at that job? And so you just have to, I think, give him some, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt and some time on it and, and to sort of see what happens. Um, I do have some concerns in there. Uh, one of them is what you said about like, you hope that he didn't get this job because they were like, well, if, if we give it, if we make somebody else the, the head, then we have to let them pick their coach and then they might not pick Brad and we would have to lose him and pay him for five more years or whatever. Yeah. Like you, so you sort of, hopefully that did not play a factor into it. Um, it would be really short-sighted if it did. I just can't like believe that that's actually what happened. So, uh, you know, it, you can't write it off entirely, but I, I just don't think that that is what happened. Um, and then the other part of it that's maybe more of a concern for me directly is like a lot of what the president of basketball operations is, is trying to get this sort of big picture view of how you get superstars onto your team. And when he was in a coaching position, he didn't seem to manage like superstar egos and sort of <laughs> what they wanted um, all that well. And the, you know, where the team is now is a, is part of the fallout of that. Now the people he was sort of tasked with trying to lead were so very different from each other that maybe there was nothing that you could ever do to sort of make some of that oil and water work. And, and some of them were obviously Kyrie in particular was a very difficult person at that point in his career to coach. Um, and so I don't know how much you can hold that against them, but like those are the things that ultimately matter for the role that he's going in. Um, and so the sort of little engine that could coaching stuff doesn't really matter. Like his, his job is not to put together a team that a really good coach can little engine that could it, right? His team, the job is to put together a team that can win the title. Uh, and so those are things that we just sort of have to, to see how they, they play out. You mentioned that he will still have a really good team in place. Is that confirmed at this point? Is that just expected? Cause I do. So I, I asked him about like, this today at his press conference and he, I asked him, you know, he spoke highly of the, the front office, but that, you know, and said that they, Tim and Danny talked about, you know, everyone kind of, being in place through the transition, including Danny advising when, when wanted. So I asked him, okay, are you interested in bringing anyone else aboard? And he's like, I'm worried about head coach first and you know, that stuff, you know, maybe we'll have to look at the structure and stuff like that. So my guess is he's probably going to bring in some fresh voices there as well. And maybe some people in there perhaps decide to go another direction, but I would imagine for, especially for this off season that there's very, minimal change in terms of the the front office itself yeah so i mean i've lived through large corporate mergers right much larger mergers than anything you'll see in you know corporations that are much larger than a a basketball team and when you have big change like this like you have that type of thing where you're picking from a variety of different choices right so you have a merger between two corporations a lot of times the person who's at the head of it is leaving and you're picking from the sort of second and third in command for multiple different companies to decide who's going to take the top spot. And they always say like, through the transition, we're not going to make any changes. What realistically happens is that the other people who are in those roles feel that they were bypassed and when other opportunities come up, they leave. And so that's the concern. Um, Now you could say that if you thought that Ainge has not been doing, you know, the best job for the last couple of years, that some of the other people on that staff, maybe if they were to go, you know, through, through some capacity in the next couple of years, like that wouldn't be the end of the world. We just don't really know. Again, it's very hard to evaluate. It's hard to evaluate, you know, what 
what Brad will do moving up from this role. It's really hard to evaluate what, you know, what assistant coaches could become good head coaches or what assistant GMs could become good GMs. Like you just don't know who's, who's taking what position in the room for these moves that happen or don't happen. Uh, but again, it is something to, to sort of worry about. Like, are you're elevating somebody whose, whose resume is like almost winning in college with a <laughs> small team and almost winning in the NBA, but not actually like ever winning, like <laughs> haven't actually won any titles um, and has no experience with this. And a lot of the things, you know, how like stuff that I talk about, a lot of this stuff is like the math and mechanics of how, how the league works. Um, and so you hope that there isn't a total exodus of some of that front office talent um, if they do feel that they've been passed over and, and trying to sort of build on the fly a, a new front office. Um, I, I assume that there will be some amount of people who you know, come in and out through that as well. But uh, I mean, it's got to be really that, tough for the coaching staff right now, obviously. Yeah, I mean, for sure, because is who's going to come up into the, the coaching position? And it's like, that's a conversation I'm not equipped at all to have. Like, right. I mean, that's, throwing out that's all different. And right. There's yeah. gambling odds and people who are throwing yeah. out their, you know, doing favors for agents, for coaches saying that they're going to be, you know, considered for the job, whatever. Jason Kidd, like, come on down. Yeah. Like I have no idea who the real candidates are for this job are. So, um, and I would have no idea who the real candidates would be for the Celtics cap, you know, guru. If Zarin decides he's going right. to go and take a GM job somewhere else or who the new head scout would be. If, you know, I, I, I don't know who those people would be. You just hope that they're, if that does happen, that they're, able to move quickly and find good people to replace them because a lot of what's going to have to happen here is that because like it's a really big job and has no experience doing it yes so yeah there's no question like with Zarin obviously being one of the, the best numbers guys period um and again i think they, they're fortunate there that he obviously has a big draw to, to staying here and i'm sure he's well taken care of by in his current role so um we'll see if if he sees this as a reasonable or just tries to maximize himself in that role. And then you have plenty of strong scouting down the line. Um, you know, Austin Ainge, it sounds like he's wearing a face and, you know, whether between him, um, Dave Lewin, Remy Cofield, everyone was, everyone was mentioned today at this press conference. So it sounds like, again, the intentions right now is for everyone to stay in place. But like you said, with, with, with transition and mergers, you never know. So we'll see what, how that shakes out here in the upcoming months, but it is, I mean, heading into what is obviously a, a first pivotal step for the franchise moving forward here this off season. Um, I would imagine the less, uh, less of a shakeup in that department, the better for the, for the short term anyway. Yeah. To a certain extent that the only problem there, right. Is that you don't want people who are halfway out the door to be making those decisions for you. Sure. Uh, you do. If that's sort of uh, years ago when, we, when I was doing Celtics Hub, like I wrote up this thing that was like rules for responsible team building, right? It was sort of these basic ideas of like, this is how you want your team to be operating. And it's funny, I had to go look back at it recently because there was somebody who asked me about something. And I was like, oh, they've broken like half of these rules and <laughs> transactions that like failed miserably. It's like, yeah. some of it is like sort of basic stuff, like don't give player options, and, like giving a player option to Ennis Cantor, like costs you a lot, right? right. Um, don't give player options to non-star players, things like that, right? But one of the, the top ones is that if you think that you're, you know, if you think, if you're thinking about firing your GM, you should fire your GM because that means that they're on the way out and you don't want them making these decisions because these decisions are not short-term decisions. You can give a coach time if you're wondering about firing them because they're, the coach's job is generally what's immediately in front of them. The GM has to be making decisions for three, four, five years on the line. And you don't want people who are making those decisions if they, in their own mind, are thinking like, I'm going to be here through this off season and then I'm going to try to find a new gig somewhere else. Um, and they're, 
just not, you know, that's not the, the best position to be in. So I hope that that is not the case. I'm not at all saying that it is. Some of the people have been with the team for quite a long time and I hope that they do continue on in those roles. Um, but it's, that is just the one thing that you worry about in that. It's like, you don't, you don't want to be in that spot. No question. So based off, let's talk about wrap up with just, you know, we'll, we'll get to this, you know, we have plenty of time for a real off season talk now that the there's three rounds before things even start happening um, for the first time in a long time with this team. But where do you foresee, do you, do you think, I'm just fascinated to see from, you know, Brad Stevens having the, you know, the coaching perspective with these guys, the firsthand knowledge of, you know, seeing them day after day and, you know, some different perspectives than people in the front office, what, who he looks at this group in terms of that's going to have a lot of overhaul. I would imagine this offseason in terms of who do we want to keep? Who do we want to build with beyond the Jays and how big of a step back we're willing to take right now to kind of, recenter things or whether it's the the Sixers from last year plan of you know just trying to hit on the fringes and run it back with you know what we have which is I think a tougher a far tougher task with what the Celtics currently have in front of them from a payroll standpoint and an asset standpoint yeah and I think that's part of the problem there right is like you said that you expect there to be a large overhaul but there isn't a huge amount of flexibility in the team if you don't think that a number of their players have, you know, any real trade value. Um, if you think they, they don't, they don't, they don't, we don't have to think of exactly. Like, like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so you're talking about a lot of guys who would have negative trade value. So are you trading one negative value contract for another? That's not really doing a whole lot. Uh, it sometimes does work out, right. There are plenty of examples around the league where two guys got, got traded for each other and everybody was like, Oh, okay, not great. And one of them goes out to do something much better. So maybe that's a place that Brad with the experience of, of being a coach and seeing these players close up and knowing what sort of fit they need to make to unlock other players could be a, a real uh, asset in terms of being the final decision maker. But that's sort of a leap of faith, uh, you know, on our part to, to believe that that might be the case. So I, I come back to the same question that I've coming back to for a long time now, which is just how much is ownership willing to spend? Yep. Because if ownership is willing to spend $50 million in luxury tax or $70 million in luxury tax, like the, the questions, the answers to the questions become, um, if not easier, you have a lot more options in how to answer them. And if they're willing to spend $20 million in luxury tax, then your answers get much more limited. And if they're not, if they don't want to be in luxury tax at all, because you just got bounced in the first round in five games, and they, um, then you would get, your answers get really narrow. So without knowing that, that's difficult. And this is something that we'll talk about in, in other calls. And, and it's a struggle because like, if a team is under the salary cap, I can do the math and tell you what they can do under certain circumstances, right? Like it's not that hard. It's arithmetic, right? Um, we can say they have this amount of dollars to spend if they make these moves and then they have these exceptions. If you are over the tax and not, or over the cap and not really worried about the tax, again, easy. Like we have these exceptions. You can work with them in these ways. You can make these trades under these trade rules. The question now is something that we can't do the math on ourselves. It's literally just like, what are these couple of people who run, who really run the team willing to spend on the team next year? And they're not going to tell us. They just say, you know, what they said again today, I think, which is like, we have a history of spending. And it's like, you don't actually have a history of spending, but okay, you can always say that. Uh, and if they aren't willing to really put like a lot of money into it, then it just, some of the questions sort of answer them, get, like I said, the answers get narrow and like, you just sort of have to answer them in certain ways. 
And those options are limited. It's things like, well, you have to either trade Kemba Walker or not re-sign Evan Fournier. And you don't have a whole ton of time to work with it and figure that out. And so those are difficult questions. And, and roster churn when, with a whole bunch of guaranteed contracts can be hard to pull off if they're all negative value contracts and you're not allowed to add salary by cutting guys because you can't pay luxury tax on those salaries. Like how do you fix the back end of the roster? And that's something that I've been sort of working through in the last couple of days of like, I actually don't know how you solve the bench problem unless again, you have, can you know spend a lot in luxury tax. So without an answer to that question, it's just a really hard thing to even like model or figure out what you would like to happen. What we'd like to happen is that the ownership goes, oh yeah, go ahead and spend $70 million in luxury tax and figure out and do whatever you need to do. Great. Now I got a lot of options. Now I can talk about all the fun things that are possible here. But short of that, it's like, what's he going to do? Like the changes around the edges are going to happen and you hope you find a better fit and you hope that everybody stays healthy next year and you're the three seed or the four seed, like, um, and that you're turning things in the right direction for, again, three or four years from now when these like big contracts come up and you're hoping that, you know, MVP and scoring champion Jason Tatum and, and all NBA Jalen Brown have a team that they feel is can win titles around them. And, um, and that's, I don't know, <laughs> like, I don't know, right. This is a conversation we've been having for, for months now, it seems. And Brad Stevens having to answer those questions instead of Danny Ainge doesn't actually change anything in terms of like how I can conceptualize them. No, if anything, it just, welcome to the job, Brad. This is probably the toughest hand that you could have been dealt in terms of a team that has is going to have expectations and yeah, and, and that has talent right <laughs> there are worse hands to be dealt. yeah that's true i mean for talent but like worse, but yeah you know like making it work with the fringes and with some really tough decisions looming of kemba smart fournier and then who who you want to sacrifice potentially down that has value on the rest of the roster in order to potentially move off those deals whether it's players or picks um i'm gonna wrap up this by giving by throwing two kemba trade ideas at you for fun um we have two so you only have two period i i well first of all your 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 canard and patrick everyone took a turn for the worse um in the last couple games with the clippers turnaround but not, um, not with Patrick Beverly or Luke. That's Kennard. true. That's a good point. Like, Kennard's not playing at all. And Beverly is part of what their turnaround was that they put Reggie Jackson in instead of him. So, right. That's a good point. Um, Eric Gordon, DJ Augustine to Houston, Kemba, and a protected first. How long is Gordon's contract? Gordon's got. Two more years left, but the last year is not guaranteed. So same length. Same. Oh, one year less, but not guaranteed. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. He's he has same length, but like nineteen point five, twenty point nine, and then but that that last year is a partial guarantee. Um. So no, it's eighteen next year. Oh, it's eighteen. I'm sorry, three years. Right. Got that. it. Got it. And, and then the last, yeah, an extra year, but that year is not guaranteed. Thank you. Uh, um. No. I don't think I would do that uh, unless again, like I'm have a mandate that I must cut money. Those are the problem with that is that you're, if you're doing that in order to basically allow you to resign Evan Fournier, like how many two guards can you have on this team who can't really, who are like targetable on, on defense and who are blocking the, the last two lottery picks that you drafted. Like I, I just can't, I can't add another small, a two guard, another resign another two guard for significant money you know having 30 some odd million dollars tied up at, at shooting guard 
and then again blocking the guys who I drafted and, and not have actually resolved the problems with the roster so I unless it's literally just cash savings I don't think I would do that okay fair um Kemba I'm looking at teams that just have net, at Kemba's point with like you just have to look at teams that are are just in asset accumulation mode so Kemba to Orlando with the number 16 overall pick for Gary Harris and Terrence Ross. Gary Harris on expiring 20 million, Ross 12 million with two years left. Uh, probably yes. Um, Orlando Price says no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Terrence Ross had, would have value. I, I come back to the exact same thing I just said, where it's like, hey, we're adding two more shooting guards again. But this time uh, it's like you're getting off the money sooner. Not, yeah, you get off the money sooner. And I, I just can, I assume that at that point you would not be re-signing Fournier. Because yeah, you're, you're giving gonna, up on Fournier. Yeah. yeah. So under those circumstances, I guess I would say yes to that. Um, that's a, a much better defensive solution because, um, you know, a smart Harris backcourt isn't going to, doesn't really have anybody you can target. Um, and I think that that gives you enough flexibility to try to add the sort of big defensive power forward that the team like just absolutely so desperately needs uh, to find a way to add. And, and that's a really difficult position to, to resolve. Uh, so I think I would do that one. And I don't think that Orlando would do that. Right. Okay. And so the other one is Al Horford. Al Horford. Yes. That we will be, we'll be ringing that bell all off season long here. It's the, I was going to say the Ainge Presti connection, but no longer the Brad Stevens Presti connection. Maybe we'll find out if, uh, the guy. I thought that they'd be taking a run at over Brad, um, but that is not the case. All right, Ryan Bernoni, follow him at danger cart on Twitter. Um, we'll be, we'll be back on here sometime in the month of June to, to dive deeper into the possibilities here. But for now, Brad Stevens moving up Danny Ainge, uh, Ending a very successful run uh, as Celtics president of basketball operations. And we'll be back to, to see what comes next and who will be the next head coach. Um, potentially finding out in the next couple of weeks, they move fast. So stay tuned for that.